Okay, so this is uh, going. Is this a prayer uh, Q and A? And uh, this is a little bit different than what we're used to because we're doing two things. Uh, first of all, we've always been trying to do a Q and A for a few years now, and we're finally doing it. Did we want to do it our first year? I forgot. Oh yeah, both years, and we just never got to it. Well, the Holy Ghost interrupted, you know, and that's fine. We want the Holy Ghost to be involved. And uh, so this is a Q&A on prayer, and we're going to touch on a few things regarding prayer. Now, we do have a few um, questions from the past few years. Uh, we have some questions that are already prepared. However, uh, we have, um, however, we will likely open up uh, the floor to additional questions, especially if we get through all of these questions. These are questions that I have already been produced by uh, individuals who have come to the prayer retreat. So some of your questions that you submitted last year are likely on this. I've just uh, adjusted them a little bit to make them a bit more broad. And I've tried to make these questions um, of what uh, it, people have been asking. Okay, so we're going to start with prayer. And ask God to be with us because I do believe that the Lord, he's going to minister today uh, through this Q&A. I'm going to pray that the, uh, the gift of wisdom would be in operation for us to speak what God wants us to speak. More than just us answering questions, rather we want to address issues that God wants to address in the spirit. And our prayer is that this Q&A session, this discussion... Uh, would lead to changes in our lives from this day forward. Amen. Is everyone on board with that? Amen. You are the first live audience for the certain sound. All right. Praise God. <laughs> so you better pray hard and sound spiritual. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, let's pray that God would have his way. Father, we come before you today. We thank you. For the Holy Ghost, God, that we have felt in this place thus far, Lord Jesus, I know, God, you're moving in this place. I know it is your will, God, that we just connect, Father, with your presence and with everything that you have for us, God, this afternoon. I pray that by the power of the Holy Ghost, God, enable us, Lord, to receive a word from you. God, open our ears to hear, God. Open up our hearts to receive, Lord Jesus, our eyes to see what you have for us, God, through this panel. Lord Jesus, guide our discussion, God. Guide everything that we think of, Lord. Guide our thoughts and what we express today. Lord, may the gift of wisdom go forth. May the gift of knowledge go forth, God. Enable us, God, with the gift. Lord Jesus, open us up, God, um, in the gift of revelation, Lord, today. In the name of Jesus, God, we'll be sure to give you all the honor, the glory for it in Jesus' name. Can we just worship God for what he's going to do today? We love you. We thank you. Thank you, God. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. So the format that we're going to take today is that we're going to... Uh, we're just going to start off a little bit uh, um, in our personal lives, talking about our personal lives. Um, 
And uh, we're going to go back and forth between Brother Herring and Brother Ellis here. And I'll jump in from time to time, but mainly I'll be facilitating the conversation. Uh, so a uh, question that I'd like to ask to uh, both of our guests here today, and we'll just see if this leads to discussion from the get-go, um, is when did God, and we'll start with Brother Herring, when did you really develop a relationship with God, and what kind of stoked that fire for you to uh, become more familiar with uh, prayer? I can't speak for everyone, um, but I learned at a very young age that pain is the greatest fuel for prayer, at least in learning how to pray. Um, in 2016, a man by the name of Ed Young wrote an article for National Geographic, and in this article, he stated that before the arrival of humans, uh, birds on a specific island were losing the ability to fly. And that they lost the ability to fly is because on this specific island, there were no ground predators to bother them. And because they did not have an enemy, because they did not have anything to prey on them, they became accustomed to the atmosphere down here rather than striving for the atmosphere up there. Uh, and these birds, we don't believe in them to uh, morph in a sense. Their energy began to shift from their forelimbs to their hind limbs. Uh, and those forelimbs were the part of their body that was uh, the thing that would help them take off running and begin to flap their wings so that they could fly. Uh, and the reason that that strikes me is because gradually lost the ability to fly. In that, in that moment, right before they lost the ability to fly, uh, the studies showed that they began to take off at a more leisurely pace. And so because without an enemy to chase them, there was no urgency in them to be elevated. And so I have learned in my life that pain uh, is the thing that has a place of prayer. I mentioned a little bit yesterday about my upbringing, my childhood, dysfunctional family, family not living for God, uh, different things of, of that nature. And so I have learned that the presence of an adversary, the presence of pain, has been the very thing that has caused me not to be satisfied with the atmosphere down here, but to reach for the atmosphere up there. And so every person in this room at some point will go through a season of pain, and you have a decision, this pain can paralyze you or this pain can propel you. Uh, the choice is yours. I decided to let it drive me to a prayer closet, and it was in that season of uh, brokenness and loneliness and family falling apart uh, that I found a friend in Jesus. I think I think that principle is universal um, because I grew up in church and I've always had a propensity to pray in services and uh, occasionally, but it took a, a very traumatic experience in my life where my heart was literally broken into a million pieces 
And I remember my heart was broken so bad and it hurt so, so deep. Only place I could find relief was in prayer. Um, and I spent eight months grieving over this thing that happened in my life. But in that eight months, there was the source of living water. It was the only thing that could keep me going. And then eventually the pain pacified upon itself. And uh, I, I moved on and I grew, you know, scabs and which turned to scars. And ultimately you can see them, but you don't feel them anymore. Um, but you know what? Those eight consistently having to go to the well of refreshing built habits in me um, that have lived ever since. And so um, learning to pray, I think you have to have the right motivation for prayer. It's very difficult to pray when you have the wrong motivation. Um, it, it's short-lasting. If you have a performance mentality um, and you only pray when there's an event, well, you know, if you, there's many people uh, who pray uh, when they need to perform. It's my turn to sing, and so I'm going to go pray, or it's my turn to lead. And Brother Sanders has taught me something that I think is very wise, that there's three levels of consecration. Level one is uh, I just want to be saved. I know that there's a certain benchmark of lifestyle that I need to meet in order to make it to glory, and, and, um, and there's that lowest level of consecration, which is salvation, and then there's that second, which is to be used in ministry, and you understand that when you spend time in prayer, you start to gain, um, we call them gold nuggets, you know, in, in, in sermon, sermonizing, things like that. But then there's that third level of consecration, which is to know God. And you might have the motivation, pain will be that motivation. But once you get there, you start to realize what I'm achieving here is ever experienced in my life. And there's that dimension of getting to know God. So, you know, pain will get you in the room, but the love of God will keep you in the room. So my personal life, um, it was pain, but not pain from the outside. It was pain, uh, pain from myself. I was really tired of myself. Uh, I was tired of my own mind. I was tired of my, I was tired of my own character. Um, I had, for uh, many years, I had struggled with the feelings that I, will, I would be uh, just a mediocre human being, not having achieved anything, uh, always a failure because of a lack of discipline. I didn't have disciplines in my life. I felt like I, w I was the one sabotaging my own life and contrasted with the immense promises of God over my life, the intimidation of the things that I felt like God was wanting to take me to in combination with the feeling of inadequacy that I just am not going to make it. I just don't have what it takes drove me to a place where I was just so sick of myself and sick of failing in college. And uh, so I began going to prayer and asking God to transform me. The Lord really taught me how to pray the word of God during that time. And uh, word had always dominated my mind. It's in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 5. Uh, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but powerful through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 
pulling down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So what I realized is that what I was fighting in my spirit and in my mind were strongholds, strongholds that the enemy had put there and life had put there that were convincing me that I would never become what God wanted me to become. And those were strongholds. And I began to see my mind as a mission field and the word of God as the missionary who is going into the lands of my broken mind, tearing down buildings and restructuring buildings, build faith. The new buildings were the word of God. And the word of God is living, powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword that discerns the thoughts, discerns the soul, the spirit, the intents of the heart. And so the word of God through prayer was like traveling into my mind and to my spirit, visiting memory, very painful of my past, memories that the enemy were weapons to keep me from progressing in my identity of God, in God. And God was systematically like a bulldozer going to the cities of my past memories, right? And I, that was just a very powerful image for me. It's just why I talk it, about it in that way. It's like the word of God was the missionary coming in like construction, visiting the cities of the country. That's my land. These cities that were based on experienced things, disappointments in my life, destroying the city, bulldozing down buildings, and reconstructing things according to the will of God. And that journey of transformation, it was the foundation for my prayer life and my relationship with God today is seen in that way. It, giving God an opportunity to really journey into my heart and into my mind, transform me so that I can be more like go do what Christ did as I am more like him. Does that make sense? So that is really what cultivated my prayer life, that, that mindset. Um, so let me, let me start with some of these questions here that are, that are in the Q&A. And uh, if at any moment in time you all want to stop me from progressing forward and you want to say something, please stop me. Because I'd rather this be more like the classic discussions that we have in the pod, formal question and answer, because I believe in spirit-led discussion. I believe in spirit-led conversations, okay? Okay, so this is the first question I have, and I'm going to uh, give this here to Brother Heron to start off. Can I do... Or what can we do to overcome, overcome blocks or walls in prayer when it seems like there is a wall in front of you uh, in prayer? And to tack on to this is what if you have something like ADD? I don't know if you'd be able to address that. But this feeling that you're constantly. Uh, it's called pray DD. Pray DD. <laughs> Our brother Herring, and what you know, what can we do to overcome those blocks in prayer? When you look throughout Scripture, uh, well, first of all, God is a God of pattern. Uh, he is a God of structure. He's a God of alignment. Uh, that's why he ordered the chaos of the world before he released his glory into the earth. Uh, he brought structure and order and then released his glory. Uh, couldn't just walk into the most holy place. There was a, there was a protocol that they had to go through to get access to the most holy place. They had to uh, start at the outer court and then go through the holy place. And then, once they went through that structure, 
they got access to the glory of God. Uh, but I think sometimes we get to the place where we are so bound by structure that we never access the glory of God. Um, but structure was not meant to restrict God. It was meant to be a pathway to release God. The only purpose or the only reason that there was structure was so that it could be an avenue that would lead to the glory and the presence of God. And so, uh, you know, some people do the tabernacle prayer, uh, and I think in a sense, but I've noticed that sometimes people are so set on finishing the tabernacle prayer that when the Holy Ghost begins to move at one piece of that tabernacle, they bypass a move of God because it's that performance-based mindset that says, I have to finish this tabernacle plan. When really the purpose of, of praying through that structure is you into the presence of God. So Verbal Bean in his uh, book called Prayer, um, if you can ever get your hands on a copy of that book, it's a rare find nowadays. Uh, but he likens prayer unto uh, the channels on a radio station. And he says that sometimes when you go to a certain radio station, it's very staticky. You're catching every other word. Uh, it's not clear. The signal is uh, the signal is blocked by something. And he said you might stay on that channel for a moment, but that channel is not clear. So what do you do? You change the channel. And you keep changing the channel until you find a channel that's clear. And once you find that channel that's clear, you stay there until, event until eventually that channel is no longer clear. And so it's the same way with prayer. If you fashion or with repentance, it might feel like you're hitting a wall and like there's no witness to the Spirit. Uh, it might feel like like. God is nowhere to be found, even though he's omnipresent. But I feel like everyone here knows what I mean when I say that. It feels like God is nowhere to be found. Well, what do you need to do? You need to change the channel. And you need to progress through that structure, that pattern of prayer, uh, whatever pattern of prayer you might. The object is to get into the presence of God. And so you, you need to change the channel. Uh, you can go to... Uh, you can go to the candlesticks and you can pray to candlesticks or you can go to the altar of incense and intercede. The object is to just get into the presence of God. So if you're hitting walls, if you're hitting a block in your prayer, I would say to you, try changing the channel. And then once you change the clear flow, stay in that flow. You don't have to make it all the way through the uh through the, the, the tabernacle. You don't have to pray specifically every part of the tabernacle or whatever plan you typically pray throughout the day. Just pray until you find that channel that's clear. And once you get there, stay there. That's why I said last night, uh, time should not dictate your prayer. Your prayer should dictate your time. If saying, I'm going to pray one hour and I'm going to start at the the altar of sacrifice in the outer court, and I'm, and I'm going to stop once I get beyond the veil, and I'm in the most holy place, and then my prayer is done. Instead of doing that, just progress through the plan until you get into the presence of God and you're praying in the Spirit.
And then once you get there, you stay there until God's done with you. Now, that reminds me recently by uh, Brother Morgan Ellis uh, on our Lifeline YouTube page. Is it up, the, that, that sermon that you preached on? Okay, so it, what is being referenced here, Brother Herring, is the tabernacle prayer. And some people might not be familiar. Is anyone not familiar with the tabernacle prayer? You have no idea. what. Okay, we have a few hands. Um, go to that Lifeline page, and you'll be able to... Pastor Morgan Ellis really gives an incredible word based on the tabernacle and also the reversal of the tabernacle prayer. Uh, very powerful sermon, and I think both of those approaches are very powerful and very significant towards methods, that tools that we could use to get into the presence of God, which is really about the presence of God. That's Once you get into the flow of the Spirit, follow the flow. Forget everything else. Forget your program, forget what you, kind of like what we're doing in prayer retreat. Once we hit it, once you hit oil, drill down until you got everything that God can give you for that moment in time. So, uh, Brother Ellis, do you have anything to add? I, th I think there's like so many answers that are running through my head. Uh, and so I'm trying to pick uh, the one that I think would, would help you the easiest. And so what Brother Herring is, is teaching, and I think it's absolutely right. That the goal, this should be in your mindset, the, the goal of every prayer meeting is that before the prayer meeting is over, the Holy Ghost takes over my prayers. Because the Holy Spirit, we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit of God causes intercessions with groanings with that cannot be uttered and prays according to the will of God. And so... There's different arenas of prayer, and the, and the lowest arena of prayer is the soul. We call it the soulish arena. This is when you're praying your emotions and, and your will, and you're talking to God like your best friend. And I think that's all wonderful. And I've really developed that in my life to where I can talk to the Lord just like a friend for hours beyond hours. But even that has its limitations. And many times because we haven't built a friendship with the Lord, the soulish arena isn't very deep. So we're all after 15 minutes because we just have run out of things to talk with the Lord about. But if you've ever got into a room with a really good friend, Brother Ronnie and I are very, very good friends. And we go on these incredibly long walks together. And sometimes we'll walk upwards of 10 miles and we're gone for four or five hours and we never run out of things to talk about because our friendship is that deep. We enjoy each other's company. We can talk. As you develop your friendship with the Lord, you'll even improve that soulish arena. And because you haven't developed that friendship with the Lord. And if I were to sit two of you, maybe two introverts in a room, and you don't know each other, it's going to be awkward for a little while. The first couple of minutes, it's going to be really awkward. You don't know what to say. You're hitting a wall. You've already talked about the weather, you know. You talked about your mom doing. I've run out of things to say. But if I were to put you in that room four and five and six and seven and eight times, well, after probably the 20th time, you're going to develop a dialogue with one another. And it's the same thing with prayer. We hit those walls, but we don't go back consistently enough to build a friendship and a dialogue with the Lord. So we haven't built the lowest level of prayer. And if you haven't built the lowest level of prayer, which is just friendship, 
then you are, uh, you're never going to be able to progress to the deeper levels of prayer. And uh, that's one answer. I've got about 50 in my mind right now. But I would say continue to show up. This is one, and I'm trying not to get too much into this. This is the biggest, I think, lie that comes with prayer, in my opinion, that stops us from praying. If God already knows everything, why do I need to say it? I can feel the witness. That's what you felt before. If God knows this, right, you break up with your boyfriend. Well, if it's God's will, it'll happen, you know. And we have this mindset about everything. If God wants me to have a house, he'll give me one. Why do I need to pray for it, right? And there's a very deep theology that comes with that that would take me much longer to describe. But the short of it is this. If you read in Scripture, every time God sees something, it causes him to think. The Bible says that the eyes of men, and he ponders his goings. You could study it out. God can see all things, but oftentimes God won't respond until he hears about something. That's why in Sodom and Gomorrah and Babylon, the Bible says that the cries came before the Lord. That's why he had to come down. He saw the things that were taking place from the very beginning, but when he heard the cries, that's what caused And so this is the nature of God. Just because he sees something doesn't cause him to be compelled necessarily to do something. But when God hears something, the very first prayer that was ever answered in the Bible, the first prayer that was ever answered was by Hagar. And Hagar was out and she was crying out to the Lord. And an angel comes and says, God is going to bless you with a child named Ishmael, whose name means God hears. And so the first understanding that you have to have is, yes, God already knows this in his omniscience. But there's another dimension in the nature of God that he has revealed to us through his word. That when he hears something, it compels him much more to respond. And I'm not saying God needs to hear something to do something, but in the nature of Scripture, when he does hear something, it causes him to act at a greater pace than when he sees something. Lie has to go out the window. Just because God sees doesn't mean it omits us from the responsibility of prayer. Uh, adding on to what Brother Ellis just said, which I think is fantastic, um, you cannot read a book that will teach you how to pray. You cannot listen to enough sermons on prayer that will teach you how to pray. The only true way to learn how to pray is to pray. It's, it's very simple. And, and I think sometimes we make it more complex than what it is. We feel like we have to approach God with this deep formula of prayer just to get access to his presence. But what I want this generation and specifically this group to understand is that God desires pursuit more than he desires perfection. He just wants you to keep showing. Even if you don't always get it right, he's just happy that you want to talk to him. Jesus gave a parable to um, his disciples. He talks about the woman and the unjust judge. And he said that this woman came to this unjust judge every single day. And finally, this unjust judge, he says, I'm going to avenge this woman of her adversaries. Weary me with her continual coming. Now, we understand that 
God is not an unjust judge. But Jesus used this parable to describe what God was not. And in describing what God was not, we got a revelation of what God was. He's not an unjust judge. Judge. This unjust judge did not want to avenge this woman of her adversaries. So that means that God does want to avenge us of our adversaries. And so what Jesus was trying to teach to his disciples was that when it comes to prayer, your persistence has to be great enough that it is equal to this woman that is continually coming back to an unjust judge. He was trying to teach his disciples, I just want you to keep coming back. If that unjust judge had avenged that woman of her adversary the first time she came, she would not have continued coming. So I think when it comes to prayer, maybe the reason God didn't answer your prayer the first time is because he knows if he answers it the first time, you won't come back a second time. And if he answers it, it'll come back a third time. And if he answers it a third time, you won't come back a fourth time. But if he can withhold the answer to your prayer long enough to teach you how to keep coming back to him, eventually a relationship will be established. And he can trust you with an answer to that prayer so that he knows if I give you what you're asking for, you'll keep coming back to me even when you don't need something. Because prayer is about finding who God is. We see in Job, and I think this is so powerful, Job was a man that he had everything. He feared God. He eschewed evil. God lowered the hedge. And he gave the enemy access to Job. And when Job lost everything, he entered into a mode of prayer. And his prayer was a victimized prayer, wondering, where is God? He started looking around saying, God, where are you? Why am I going through what I'm going through? Why am I dealing with what I'm dealing with? And for 37 chapters, he prayed, God, why me? Why am I dealing with this? Why am I going through this? Why did I lose everything? Why do I have to bear the burdens that I'm bearing? Why me and where are you, God? And then finally in chapter 38, God spoke through the whirlwind. God spoke to Job through the storm. And he said, okay, Job, I've got a few questions of my own I'd like to ask. Where were you when the morning stars sang together? Where were you when the sons of God shouted for joy? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth and established the cornerstone thereof? Where were you when I shut up the proud waves of the sea and told its waves that this is as far as you could go? Where were you, Job? You know what God was saying in that? He was saying, Job, you're wanting to know where I am, but I want to show you who I am. And I feel like with prayer, that's how we approach it as we come to God and we say, God, where are you? I need you to do this. I need you to do that. All the while, God is saying, you're wondering where I am, but I want to show you who I am. You guys feel that in the atmosphere. Let's pray. Lord God, in Jesus' name. <laughs>
Show us who you are, Jesus. Oh, yes, yes, yes. As a matter of fact, this is what I feel in the Holy Ghost, and then we'll, we'll move quickly. But I do feel in the Holy Ghost to minister to somebody right now. The Lord spoke to Abraham, and he said, your, your lineage, your seed, they're going to be strangers in a land that is not theirs. And they're going to be in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. God put an expiration date on their bondage. But the Bible tells in bondage in Egypt for 430 years. You ever been at a place where you stayed in a trial longer than what you thought you would have been in that trial? You ever been at a place where you just felt forgotten by God like he was just going to leave you where you were in your bondage and in your pain? Well, when you look in Exodus chapter 3, the Lord speaks to Moses, and this is what he says. He says, I have surely visited you and seen them in Egypt. The English Standard Version says it like this. He looks at Moses and he says, I have paid close attention to you. And I really feel strongly in the Holy Ghost that there's somebody in this room. You thought that the expiration date for your trial would have already passed by now. You've been in this thing far longer than what you thought you'd be in it. And you feel like you're, boy, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. You feel like you're forgotten. You feel, you, you feel like God has left you in this mess. But the Holy Ghost told me to tell this group of students that he has paid close attention to you. And there is an expiration date to what you're going through. Come on, somebody receive it. Somebody receive it. Lift up your hands. Hey, Kodobo, Shatada Bahata. Hey, Bashakaba. Things that came to my mind before we move on here. Uh, understand that the process uh, for God in your life of receiving the answer from him or a response from him is just as important as the response itself because as God is preparing to answer your prayer he also wants to into his image and through prayer and praying for your situation wisdom is cultivated in your spirit and in your mind about that situation that forms you into his likeness that if God would just give you the answer, because he knows what he's going to do, if he just gives you the response, you would never have the opportunity of being formed into his likeness. The process is just as the response. So pray. Don't be afraid to ask and pray. Intercede. Because so many people say, God, don't you see that my pain, right? You say, or you ask God for somebody else. Don't you see their pain and what they're going through? Don't you see the pain of my loved one, of my friend? Don't you see the pain of my church? And if God would say, oh, I, I see the pain, I'm going to respond. Why? Because I know everything and I can do everything. You wouldn't learn what it's like to intercede and get in your spirit the burden of the Holy Ghost for this situation. And it's that burden of the Holy Spirit that ends up forming you a little bit more into his likeness. He needs that to happen in your life. And so he doesn't answer right away. The second thing, there's a part of this question that says, keep my uh, uh, some uh, it, it, that somehow that assumes that somehow is not the will of God now for the most part 
a wandering mind or a distracted mind is our carnality. It is our human mind. Sometimes it is not, though. The Word of God says in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are love, things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. The kind of thinking that I believe is being referred to here is not just uh, imagine them and think through them. But there is a place where you can have spirit-led imagination, spirit-led thinking about those things that are good and just and pure in your life. So if you are in the Holy Ghost and you're praying that God would have his way in your life and all of a sudden in your mind you start thinking about your job and the kind of worker you're at in your job and whether your supervisors are paying attention to you or not. Maybe your coworkers, uh, you're having a hard time with your coworkers. Don't immediately assume that it's not the Holy Ghost that's carrying you to that thought. As many times as I have experienced it, I have experienced what many people would deem wandering mind. But in thinking about some random thing that God just placed in my spirit while praying, and I know somebody, I see nods, so there are people who here know what I'm talking about. God just ends up bringing to my understanding and my remembrance something about that context, and the spirit is enabled in me again to pray over it, guides me. God guides me to a decision that I need to make about a situation. Sometimes the spirit wants you to think about these things and see uh, when we have a definition of prayer that means that that is only means you have to be talking the whole time. All right. It is a, it's, it's incomplete. Prayer doesn't mean and what we mean by prayer doesn't mean either you're talking hearing the voice of God. Sometimes it's this in between place of lingering in the presence and let just letting yourself be in the presence of God and letting God guide your heart and your mind to the next thing that he wants to show you. Okay. And, uh, and I've practiced this many times. God's just moved on. Sometimes when I'm writing, I'm, I'm at the end of writing my dissertation for my thesis. And literally when I cannot think of what to write next, I will stop. I will go into another room and I will pray. And I said, God, guide my mind, Lord guide my mind and I'll just begin meditating on whatever thing God virtuous thing God wants me to think of or say and the spirit will put something in my mind to keep me moving right did you know you can get the leading of the spirit for your homework you can ask spirit for your job God wants to be involved with every aspect of your life all right, so I'll, I'll stop there because I can continue forward. Uh, we're going to continue on here in, into another question. It says, is it okay to share all your thoughts or feelings to God, even if they are negative? That's good. The Bible says to cast your cares upon God, but what is the correct way to talk about difficult feelings to God? And what is not a line of inappropriate communication uh, in God. We'll start with Brother Ellis this time. Or can 
And uh, this is a very important question. And um, if you listen to our, uh, our styles of worship, they're overtly positive. And there's something you know about music is that music is a reflection of values of a society. You sing about what you value. And our music is, is very good, but it's overtly all. It's not how the Bible approached music. If you read through the book of Psalms, 150 different Psalms, these are songs, 40% of them, four out of 10, two out of five Psalms are Psalms of lament, Psalms of complaint, Psalms, God, I feel terrible right now. Highlight a few of them. You can read later. Psalm 22, Psalm 69, three of my favorites. Um, Two of these are absolutely messianic. We can probably, Jesus even quotes it on the cross, Psalm 22, when he says, My God, my God, why hath you forsaken me? If Jesus Christ, God manifested in flesh, could express that lament to the Lord, I don't think God is intimidated with our hardships or intimidated with our bad emotions. And so there is a posture to prayer. Psalms of lament except one. Always say, God, life is terrible. It's like a country song, you know. Like my, my do- these were probably the country songs of the Bible, you know. My dog died, you know, and like nobody likes me, you know. And these are actually in the Bible. Um, psalm 88, I think, is the most powerful psalm <coughs> concerning this topic. If you read Psalm 88, it's the only psalm in the Bible that goes through the complaining psalms end with praise. They, God, I know everything is terrible, but at the end of the day, I know everything's going to be okay. And that should be the position of prayer. I go to prayer and I tell God frequently, Lord, I know this isn't true because this does not reflect the truth of your word. But I feel like you've forsaken me. I know you have not because I have more faith in the word than I do my feelings. Honest with you how I feel. This is the essence of the Psalms of Lament. But Psalm 88, the writer, which was not David, uh, goes through about 10, 11 verses of complaint. And I want to, if you read it, his accusations against God are not theologically correct. He said, Lord, you're persecuting me without cause. One translation says in one of the verses, God, you have caused me to stink so nobody will like. That's what it feels like. It feels like you made me have really bad body odor and people don't want to be around me. This is in your Bible, okay? Has anybody ever felt that way before? If you feel that way, first take a shower to be, you know, for sure. But then after, you know what I mean? Because you never know, you know? But, but after that, he doesn't close. This is absolutely revolution in my prayer life. He doesn't close with praise. He's got bad theology. And there is a psalm in the Bible that does and is filled with bad theology. Well, because in Psalms, they're not trying to create theology. They're trying to communicate the human condition. So what's, because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness. What is the truth that we can extract from this individual Psalm? Is that God will always listen to somebody when they ventilate their soul to him. Even if you are not correct, patients are unfounded, God will still listen to you. And so we come to this place in prayer where we believe. How many of you have ever gone to prayer and you spent just as much time 
correcting what you said. You know, like, you, you start praying, Lord, no, Lord, I, I didn't mean that. You know, and like, you're laughing because it's true, right? Because you come with this trepidation. If you don't walk this perfect line, God's not going to listen to you. God's full revelation in, in the book of Joshua, where Joshua is, um, they're fighting the battle, and, and, and as long as the, the sun is in, oh, it's in Exodus, as long as the sun is in the sky, uh, they're going to prevail over their armies. And Joshua looks at the sun and commands it to stand still. And the sun stays in place. Well, newsflash, Joshua, the sun has never moved a day in its life. The sun always stands still. Joshua didn't have the ability to use the telescopes and the science. So God looked beyond the inaccuracy of his prayer and looked to the faith of his prayer. And you told the sun to stand still, but God said, Joshua, I'm looking to the faith, and I'm going to cause the earth to stand still. And you're praying prayers for family members that aren't perfectly in line of the will of God. But he says, you know what, I see the faith behind that prayer, and I'll do a greater work than even what you are asking me to do. He was limited in his knowledge, and God did not hold that against him. So don't wait till you get this divine wealth of overflowing knowledge before like you can have faith in the presence of God. You can have it right now. He'll see beyond the inaccuracies, the, the sincere inaccuracies, and he'll see to the faith behind it and he'll do a work in your life. You have to have a place that you can run to for safety. Messianic prophecy in Isaiah 42 said that a bruised reed would he not break. And a smoking flax would he not quench. What the writer was trying to say is that when the Messiah comes, it's not his desire to take what is broken and to break it even more. But it's his desire to take what's broken and put it back together again. And So when you study that, you'll find out that uh, a smoking flax outside, but a bruised reed has damage on the inside. Have you ever been at a place in life where you just, you just had this internal hurt? You just felt pain, and you didn't really know how to put language around it. You, you didn't really know how to put vocabulary around it. It's when you have that kind of emotion in place you can turn to. When you can't trust the one on your left or on your right you can trust the one above you when you don't feel like you can go to your friend or you can uh, go to your parents or you can go to anybody else you can go to God and there have been moments in my life uh, as a matter of fact I've 2023 has been one of the most broken years of my life and I've had some very uh some very transparent conversations with God. I have voiced things to God that there is no way that I could voice to anybody else. But he is my, he is my safe haven. And it's in that place, and I, I'm, I'm trying to stay on topic to the question, uh, but it's, it is in that place that you can express your humanity and not be judged by anybody that place that you can be totally open and transparent with God and not worry about what he is going to think about you. As a matter of fact, some of the most powerful moments of prayer in scripture have come in times where in their humanity they felt like they were forgotten. First Samuel 1, 
the Bible says that uh, the Lord shut up the womb of Hannah and Penina, who had the ability to birth sons for her. The Bible said that she provoked Hannah. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that Hannah prayed and said, God, forget not thine handmaid and remember me. And she reached a place where she didn't even have language to express what she felt. Paul Bunyan said in prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. That place where you just hurt so badly, all you could do is just curl up in a ball in the floor. And you didn't even have words. But your heart, and that's exactly the way Hannah prayed because the Bible said, that her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. She didn't have words, but she had a heart. And God saw beyond language. God saw beyond the inadequate vocabulary. And he saw her heart. He saw her emotion. He saw what she felt. And the Bible said that, that Eli thought that she was drunk. And she said, I'm not drunk. I've just poured my soul out to the Lord. And that is the place of prayer that you can go to, that you can't, you, you don't reach that place by going to another person. It's by going to him and just being open and transparent and vulnerable with him. Very good, very good responses here. I also want to remind everyone that, um, that uh, God is a God of process, and many times we do express frustration, sadness, a disappointment to God, and we can, and we should. Uh, we do express that discouraged, uh, inaccurate theology, um, assuming things about God that are not true, right? Um, uh, C.S. Lewis has an incredible quote that I quote many times that God many times doesn't answer us, uh, even although he gives us the liberty to express ourselves in such a way, doesn't answer our prayers because they're simply not answerable the way that we're praying them. Uh, for example, uh, how long is the color yellow? You know, we, we state our prayers in terms of things that are impossible to answer. You know, how long is the color yellow? God, why don't you love me, right? Uh, you know, and, and we ask and we pray in these ways, and they're not answerable because God does love you. So you're putting God in the assumption that he doesn't love you. You're asking, why don't you love me? That's not color yellow. You can't measure yellow. It's a color, right? And, but nevertheless, speaking from our hearts is part of a process, which is why God, going back to Job, allowed Job to pray self-centered prayers. He allowed Job to speak his pain, and eventually God did come and fellowship and speak to him and give him the courage. But it's the will of God for him to have prayed that way. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the book of Job, first of all. And uh, But it's the will of God for do such, to do such things, you know. So understand your pain in terms of process. Uh, and it's important that you recognize your pain and you recognize your frustration because then you'll just you'll you'll have to lean on performance 
you'll have to lean on uh, human efforts in your image as a pretty Pentecostal if you are not living in the genuine place, in a genuine place of relationship with God, you're not recognizing where you act or actually are in God. And, uh, you know, part of the process of your transformation is pinpointing exactly what is going on. I feel abandoned, God. I feel ignored. I feel left behind. And in that prayer, God says, I am with you. I'll be with you. I've been walking with you your whole life. I'm not going to end today. Right. And he takes us through that process of transformation. Um, something I've learned in life is that many times unanswered prayers is the greatest manifestation of the mercy and love of God. I look back at the sum of my life and I am so grateful that God didn't answer some of my prayers. There are people you prayed that you would end up with. Now you're looking back, thank God you didn't answer that prayer, Lord. You know what I'm talking about? And the Lord revealed this to me um, through my daughter. And if you've been around me for any length of time, you've heard me tell this story. But it really did change my paradigm concerning unanswered prayers. And I remember my daughter was in preschool. And preschool, uh, at that age, the custom was we would have bedtime prayer. And how she was in her classroom was... The teacher would say a prayer and the students would repeat a prayer after. And so this became the custom with my four-year-old daughter for bed. She would kneel, she would pray, and then she would expect me to repeat what she said. And so we're doing that, as was our custom most nights. And I'm knelt by the side of the bed on her little toddler bed. And she says, God, touch mommy and touch daddy. I said, God, touch mommy, touch daddy, touch grandma and grandpa. I say, God, touch grandma and grandpa. Preschool teacher, Sister Munice, was sick that day. And she had great compassion that arose for her preschool teacher. And she said, God, touch Sister Munice. God, I pray that you take all the germs out of her body. And I'm sitting there going, God, touch Sister Munice, take the germs out of her body. And how many of you remember the time in prayer when you were learning how to pray that you started trying new prayers out? Like when I was younger, I would get an earshot of Pastor Haney. And he would say something that just like a jacket, I wanted to try it on too, you know. And it, it was way beyond my spiritual level. But let's see how this fits, you know. And so she was at that stage where she was hearing what other people were praying. And she tried on a new prayer. And she said, God, touch your communities. Take the germs out of her body. And she said this. She said, Lord, sacrifice her on the altar. <laughs> Dead level best to repeat that <laughs> Lord, sacrifice her on the altar. And I remember I left that room just trying not to bust up laughing. I kid you not, I was holding the tears back. And I said out loud, I said, God, you must think that's so cute. And instantly the Holy Ghost hit me and said, Morgan, not much changes when you get older. You still pray prayers you don't understand the ramifications of. And out of my, out of my mercy, I don't answer them. Imagine if God said, well... As you wish, daughter, thy, by thy faith it is done. Sister Munice, like an Aztecian scene, you know. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like, thank God he didn't answer that prayer. 
But just because I'm in my 30s and I understand of the error of a four-year-old goes infinitely above the wisdom level, I'm above my daughter. And so I say, God, give me this ministry. And God gives me a brick wall. And you say, God, you don't love me. He said, no, in fact, the brick wall means I really do love you. Because you're not ready for that or that's not the will of God because I've got something better for you. And you're praying for spouses and you're praying for relationships. And God is saying, I see time from the beginning to the end. And I know what that person's going to become. And I know the path that's going to. And they're not going to have the giftings that I need to be able to sustain you. So out of my mercy, I let you go to the desert for a little while. Because I want you to be prepared. This was said of the, the Israelites when they left uh, the, the, the nation of Egypt, and they were wandering in the wilderness, and this is before the spies uh, came back with the doubting. This is before the 40 years of wandering. The Bible says that God took them the long way into the promised land because the short way, they said they would, and they would encounter war, and they would be discouraged, and they would turn back. So sometimes God lets you go the long way because you're not ready to fight the battles that come in the short way. Some of you are praying for ministry to open up for you. And it's been years. But God understands that if you would expedite. You're not ready to handle the demonic oppression. That comes with public ministry. So he allows you to stay in the tank for a while. To mess with you. But because he's trying to develop you. And he loves you. So sometimes a no or a brick wall. Can be the greatest manifestation of the love of God. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. No is still an answer. Would you just lift your hands and worship the Lord right now? Do you believe the scripture that says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could tell this mountain to cast itself into the middle of the sea and it would do it. Do you believe that? Right. And we all know the mustard seed is, is very small. So what I is literally saying, just with a little bit of faith, God will do supernatural things through your prayers. Most of us here know that we have at least that size of faith. And so when we pray over things, we pray for things, and nothing happens, what do you think God is saying about that situation, right? It's not that you don't, because if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move a mountain. It's that God wants that mountain there. There's no is still an answer, right? And understand that God still moves mountains. Whether he has moved the mountain that you prayed for or not, he still moves mountains, right? Whether God has healed you or your loved one or not, he's still a healer. 
keep on praying. And you still have to keep believing because if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, the word has said it, so we must believe it. And we're going to keep praying for it in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. We're, we're getting pretty long here, but we'll go over, we'll, we'll, we'll do one more thing, one more question here that I think is very important. Um, let's see, let me find it here. Ah. What is the balance? And this is open. Uh, whoever wants to grab the mic and speak first is fine. What is the balance between praying in tongues versus praying with our own language? How do you know when to do one or the other? The, of course, the verse of scripture that's coming from, to my mind is the, the Apostle Paul who says, I will pray in the spirit, but I will also pray in my understanding. How do we heavy on one or the other? What kind of balance do you practice in your prayer life that we can possibly learn from? And so as far as praying in the Holy Ghost, as Brother Brago mentioned, uh, you know, there's, there's an essentiality in praying in the Holy Ghost. Jude tells us to build up your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. The Apostle Paul says, I'm going to do both. I'm going to pray with the understanding. I'm going to pray with the Spirit. We go back to Romans 8, that the Spirit of God uh, maketh intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And so the Spirit goes beyond our capability to pray. But Paul also says that if I pray, doesn't just say speak. He says, if I pray in an unknown tongue, this is what he's actually making a case for praying in the understanding in that passage. Because he says, if I pray in the understanding, or if I, yeah, if I pray in the understanding, my unfruitful. If I pray in my known language, my understanding is unfruitful. He says, so I need a balance in prayer. If I go to prayer and all I ever do is speak in tongues, my spirit will be built, but my mind will not be. And the mind is really the battlefield for the soul. Um, you know, it, it, wherever your mind goes, that's where your eternity is going to go. That's why it says in Romans to be carnally minded. One translation says to have a mind governed leads unto death. But to be spiritually minded, to have a mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So your mind is, is the one that's up for grabs here. So praying in the understanding will fortify your mind. But praying in the spirit will build up your faith, which is ultimately. So the answer is, is in the question. You have to find the balance. You need to be doing both. I don't have a quantifiable 30, 70%, you know, standing more than most. I, I can just talk to God for hours. I know some people talk to God for 10 minutes and they pray for two hours in tongues. And so I think it's different for everybody, but I do think it's important that you do both. Um, I think uh, it, you, we have a responsibility to pray in both. It's not an option to either pray in one or the other. Um, pray in tongues a lot. And if we're not careful, we can become top-heavy and only praying in tongues. Uh, but we need to pray with our understanding as well because it's when we pray in our known language or languages, some, some of us are bilingual, that God brings to our mind clarity. He, he, he almost brings it into the world, bring, births it in your mind when you go back and forth. I am a firm believer, and I still, I, I, you know, I considered this years ago, and I am more 
convinced of this as time goes on. We as Pentecostals pray with the gift of the interpretation of tongues more often than I think we think. And it's because so too, and, and the reason why we don't recognize uh, this relationship between praying in the spirit and praying in understanding is because our understanding of interpretation of tongues is really not interpretation of tongues. It's translation of tongues. And that is not what the gift is. The gift isn't translation of tongues, meaning a word-for-word -word translation of what is spoken in the spirit. It's interpretation of tongues, which means you give in of the meaning of what you are praying or what is being prayed in the spirit. Uh, what tells me this, right, is that it's interesting that many times when interpretation of tongues happens in Pentecostal churches, individuals who are interpreting often try to speak in King James English as if thy and thou were part of the Hebrew or the Greek. Uh, thy and thou have nothing to do with the interpretation. But we impose upon interpretations our cultural expectations, and we say, thus saith the Lord. Now, I do believe that there is some good in that because it sets the tone that something honorable, something reverent is occurring, right? I wouldn't agree with somebody in turn saying, uh, this is what God is saying, yo, church, you know, get yourself together, dog, right? No, 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 no. It's too casual. You're imposing the other side of the culture on it. You're, you're, that is not an interpretation, okay? But I think what I'm trying to say here is we need to, we need to back up our uh, expectation of interpretation as being some kind of super formal expression in a formal church setting. I think when we pray in the spirit and we pray understanding, in our understanding, there is it's giving you the meaning of what you're praying so boldly in the spirit in words that you understand. And you're going back and forth, back and forth in this journey of understanding, in this journey of building up your faith and your understanding of the will of God and the knowledge of God. I hope that's understandable to you all, that, that process and things. Um, I'm going to try to articulate this the best way I know how, and I'll probably like talk a little bit about this on the West Lane uh, at some point this week. Um, but when you study Scripture going all the way back to Genesis, um, you will find out that every habitation of God has been divided into three parts. Um, and that's important because... Three is the minor of seven, seven being perfection and completion, so speaks to uh, completion and wholeness. And so every habitation that God has ever had has been broken into three parts. Um, in Genesis, it was the habitation of creation. You have the earth dimension, and then you have the atmosphere or the sky, and then you have the heavenlies. And then that is reflected in the Old Testament tabernacle. You have the outer court, and then you have the holy place, and then you have the most holy place. And then you get to the temple. You have the outer court, then you have the inner court, then you have 
the holy place. And then finally, you get into the New Testament. And Scripture says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And that we are the tabernacle not made with hands. Well, typology. He's not going to break pattern. So just as every Old Testament habitation of God was broken into three parts, man is broken into three parts as the New Testament habitation of God. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians, and he said, I pray that the God of peace would sanctify you wholly, spirit, soul, and body. Body is that fleshly dimension. Soul is that holy place, that emotional, soulish arena. Uh, and then spirit is that, is that place where you've gone beyond the flesh, you've gone beyond the veil, and you're now in the spirit realm. That is synonymous with the heavenlies or the most holy place. And so I said all of that to say that the soul is important. The soul is important because the soul is the intellect. The soul is the emotions of man. That is the part of man that gives them individuality and uniqueness. The soul is the mediator between body and spirit. Through every habitation of God, there was a progression into a spiritual dimension. Is that spiritual dimension. But that soulish arena, that is the mediator between body and spirit. What I mean by that is, is what you open your emotions up to and what you open your mind up to determines whether you are flesh-led or spirit-led. The, the soul, the emotions, the mind has to elevate the flesh into a spiritual dimension but it also has the ability to drag the spirit down into a fleshly dimension. And so that's why I am leery when I go to churches and it takes them a long time to tap into the spirit. Because that lets me know that throughout the week their emotions have been opened up to the wrong thing. And now it's taking a long time for them to redirect their emotions from the flesh. So the same thing can be said when you go to prayer. Uh, you get into that soulish, emotional arena. And if you have been opening up your mind and your emotion to the wrong things all week, you're going to have to spend some time praying with understanding to sort through all of that and kill your flesh at the altar and redirect your emotion. And then once your flesh is dead and your emotions and your intellect is completely open to the Spirit, the Spirit can reach down and elevate you into a spiritual dimension. That's why Jude said, pray in the Holy Ghost, building up yourself on your most holy faith because your, your emotions have been opened up to fleshly things all week. So now you got to sort through all that and get your emotion heavenly dimension so that you can have access to the Spirit. And once I reach that place where I've prayed with my understanding and I've sorted through all of those uh, fleshly things and I've gotten my flesh out of the way and I've gotten Caleb out of the way, I've hit that spiritual dimension 
where I begin to pray in the Spirit. And I hope that this makes sense. But as I pray in the Spirit, I can hear more clearly in English. It's like I'm praying in the Spirit, and my emotions are totally open up to Him. And my flesh is subjected to the moving of the Holy Ghost. And as I begin to pray in the Spirit, it's like God begins to download things into my, into my soul, into my intellect, into my mind, and I can hear it in English. I hope that makes No better place to end here. Uh, God wants to, lift, wants to lift us up into the heavenlies, into the Spirit today. Reorient our emotions, reorient our bodies, reorient the way that we live in the world towards the spirit, towards life itself. Before we go, can we just pray and thank God for what he has done?